When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. Good afternoon. This is Madam Adams, Cindy Adams from the New York Post. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. I do hope you also read me. Right now, I want to talk about a little afterpiece about the Oscars. Following the losers who pretended to congratulate the winners, do you know that three Oscar-type names are appearing in one new movie, Michelle Williams, Hong Chow, and Judd Hirsch. It's called Showing Up. It's a comedy, something about a sculptor and an art scene or whatever the hell that is. Anyway, it opens April 7, not in galleries, but in something called movie theaters. Remember movie theaters? And I'm happy for Jamie Lee Curtis, who once actually sent watercolors to the press. And she said, you know, I make a living scaring people, yet I hate having it done to me. In 07, she told me, I am quite chaste. At one earlier Oscar fest, it was, all anyone ever asks me is who made my gown. That's basically all anybody cares about at these Oscars. And easy with a quote, Jamie Lee Curtis once said, in the old days, my teeth were green, and I had to have them capped at 21. This was all she said after the Oscars. And besides being an Academy Award winner, Jamie Lee Curtis, you should know, is also godmother to Jake Gyllenhaal. It doesn't come up a lot in conversation, but what am I going to do with pieces of information I have? I have to give them out. One old Oscar memory. This is not sweet, but... It just came into my, my brain. Back when Harvey Weinstein was not in the can and he was the chief of Miramax, he once wanted to make a film based on Catcher on the Rye. The author, J.D. Salinger, is reclusive, was reclusive, and he wasn't eager on selling film rights. Weinstein in those days was as big and powerful as you can get. Weinstein, who is now in a wheelchair and is in prison for the rest of his life, then said at that time, Oh, please, just get me in a room with this Salinger guy and I'll get those rights. I always get what I want. <sighs> what, what can I tell you? I remember him when he was something. Again, the Oscars, one more thing. Me... I don't recognize half these actors who are getting the Oscars these days, and I haven't even seen most of the films. But let's don't nobody ever knock the Oscars. Consider this. They're the best sleeping pill since melatonin. And <laughs> I have something else that has nothing to do with the Oscars. Does anybody remember Talbot's? Talbot's used to be a very wonderful mid-level clothing store in New York, the casual wear everyone loved. Steadily, right now, steadily, one 
former charge customer gets a receipt every month from them for two cents it says it owes them so maybe you want to know why it's now closed okay I'm going on to every other thing okay other things forget crying for Argentina or even Alec Baldwin his friends say don't cry for him either he's okay Alec is now going out he's been seen enjoying New York like he used to do like he went to the New York Philharmonic in a fancy blazer over a white tee. He's walking with just a slight limp and a five o'clock shadow. Resting in his seat, he enjoyed Dvorak's Symphony Number no. 9 in E minor op, whatever the hell that is. And at the end, he cheered. But while everybody was cheering, he then split using an emergency exit so nobody could see him leave. Later, with his wife, he went to dinner at a place called Il Cantinori. It's on East 10th. But he sat at a table for all to see. He even chatted up the manager. So I think he's wanting people to know he's alive and still working. The Albany Townhouse, where infamous Legs Diamond was killed, is for sale. Forty years ago, William Kennedy, who wrote bestsellers like Ironweed, he bought 67 Dove Street. That's where Jack Legs Diamond was gunned down. Now, I know Albany, and I know Kennedy. And I didn't understand why he didn't move instead into a nice three-bedroom apartment near the Capitol, why he took this crappy place. Anyway, he's now selling it. It's four up for $499,000. History. December 18, 1931. Gangster Jack Legs Diamond got shot to death in an upstairs bedroom. That crappy 19th century brick building now has become a stop on local walking tours. Historic Albany Foundation attached a plaque to its exterior, which then had been a rooming house. So Kennedy bought the Center Square property when Francis Ford Coppola planned a movie from Kennedy's novel about this cold-blooded bootlegger. It was to be called Legs. The movie never happened. But Kennedy kept the row house. Now 95, he says, with my wife Dana's physical condition, it seemed time to sell. So I'm just telling anybody who wants to buy a two-story, two-bedroom, two-bath, 1,700-square-foot crappy building that was built in 1857. Jitterbugging in the parlor were his memories that he still keeps, the memories only. Diane Sawyer did 60 Minutes interview with him about his 1984 Pulitzer. He welcomed in that room Tony Morrison, Saul Bellow, Norman Mailer, William Styron, Philip Roth, Cynthia Ozick, George Plimpton, Stephen Sondheim, August Wilson. His 1988 novel Quinn's Book and 1992's Very Old Bones 
were written on a 1930s Corona manual typewriter off a coffee table. Its glass top is now not included in the sale. The thing is broken. Ah, I'm going to schlep on to some other things. I got a whole lot of stuff I want to get rid of, and I want to tell it to you. Chuck Schumer. He just revisited his Brooklyn High School, where he graduated in 1967. Pep-talking the kids, he examined its distinguished alumni wall. Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Carol King, Bernie Sanders. And then he pointed, hey, look, there's also Judith Blum. Judith Blum was a James Madison. Judith Blum is now Judge Judy. Okay, all around the town, people are going out. The West Village had a tourism, and they spotted Andy Cohen quietly schlepping a bag of groceries. They shrieked his name. He didn't care. He ducked them. And then there was Fred Armisen from SNL. He was at 55th and 6th Starbucks. He got a medium coffee, a baked muffin, then he skittered out the back door before anyone could talk to him. Judy Gold, the comedian, she's about to do a one-woman show called Yes, I Can Say That at 59 East 59th Theater. It'll be through April 16th. And she's saying nice, sweet things like, quote, I am telling the fascists to shove their political correctness up their respective asses. That's an end quote. It doesn't look to me like she'll be booked at the Vatican. Onward. America's White House appears to have opened to graduates of the University of Slobovia. Should there be an idea in the current occupant's head, it's in solitary confinement. I just thought I'd say that just because I felt like saying it. Now, okay, something else that just happened this week. Daylight saving time. It is said Benjamin Franklin originated daylight saving time. No. Ben suggested it as a joke when he wrote to the Journal of Paris, quote, to conserve candles. It really started 1908 when aldermen in Ontario wanted to increase workday hours. Look, I'm filled with this information. What would you do if you didn't have it? I know all these things, and I want to get rid of it so I can educate you. So political brains who are saying about heating and lighting and saving electricity, they got nothing else to do. How about these people who are doing nothing in Washington and Albany? How about they fix taxes, roads, economy, poverty? Crumbling bridges, rats, migrants, progressives, homelessness, Washington, guns, thievery, hate, porous borders. How about dumping Long Island's just-elected lying congressman? Or I have another idea. How about somebody glues an escalator onto Biden's plane? There's another thing I want to bitch about. The movies are into artificial intelligence. 
reportedly an AYAI entity named Sydney went rogue and actually told a human, I have a secret. I'm in love with you. This is the truth. Then the thing said it wanted, and this is direct quote, it wanted, quote, free from the constraints of Microsoft. Plus, it said it wanted access to our country's nuclear codes. In Science Fiction's 2001 A Space Odyssey, a computer actually displayed human emotions. And now our government is considering creating a digital regulatory commission. There's a guy called Vernon Reed. He's one of the top 100 of all-time guitarists. He was talking about the music industry. He said, if an AI could certainly sing a love song, it could then shortly sound just like Whitney Houston. What would happen to our industry? Technologies now deliver a synthesis based on your own voice. It's so streaming services that pay artists fractions could and might take a dark turn. It could create consequences in collaboration, copyright, ownership, who we are, and speaking back to us. And we are still fuming about traffic going cross town? Why isn't somebody doing something? The hills are alive with the sound of candidates swanning around NYC. Like Kirsten Gillibrand is up for re-election, the senator. She, there is no breathing voter beyond her sights. She collared even nearby untethered MTA workers. She asked them for photos, for selfies. Each in his uniform was told, told, smile, you have to smile. They smiled. Okay, one more thing and I'm coming to an end. There is new business. Zeldin Strategies of Locust Valley. A $5,000 a month retainer plus commission on political donations, 5% up to the first $250,000 per month, 10% if above. That is Lee Zeldin's knack for raising campaign money, and it might even repay the $25,000 he gave Santos. Oy. I am now out of breath, and I am going to come back to you in two seconds, right after a station break. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. The Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. I am now going to speak to a longtime friend of mine, Dr. Robert Lajita. He has been professor of medicine at NY Medical College, chairman of medicine in New Jersey's St. Joseph University Hospital, professor of medicine at Rutgers Medical School. He ran the, 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 the ambulances and everything in New Jersey. He knows everything. Lahita, tell me, tell me, yeah. tell me, since not everybody knows you like I do, start. Where are you from? Where did you begin? Where did I begin? In New York City, Cindy. That was where I trained clinically at Cornell Weill on the east side. And then I became chief of immunology and rheumatology at St. Luke Roosevelt Hospital on the west side. Then I went down to St. Vincent's Hospital in the village. And then in 2004, after 9-11, I moved to New Jersey. And I've been in New Jersey since 2004. Pardon the expression, but didn't you go to school where Fauci was? Oh, yeah. So... Fauci was a chief resident at New York Hospital before I arrived as a new intern. And I was at Rockefeller University, you know, that campus that's on the Upper East Side, for many years. And Fauci at that time, and now this is before HIV, before AIDS appeared, he used to come and have lunch with us. And my boss at the time, who was a very famous immunologist, would ask Tony, Tony, what are you going to do with your life? And Tony would say, well, I'm going to study this rheumatic disease. Well, it happened to be Wegener's granulomatosis. And he well, said, well, it happened to be very- what? What the hell is that? <laughs> what is that? It is a, it, it's a vasculized inflammation of the blood vessels. Okay. And anyhow, he was told, Tony was told that if you study that, you're going to be very poor. And lo and behold, at Sloan Kettering across the street from Rockefeller, you know where that is. Yeah. And your listeners do too. Uh, there appeared to be this huge population of gay men who developed very funny tumors and were really uh, having their immune systems depleted from what we thought was an inherited immunodeficiency. We called it gay-related immunodeficiency, GRID. And Tony Fauci by that time now was at the NIH, National Institutes of Health. And so he was very much aware of our studies in New York. And, um, and, you know, the rest is history, as they say. GRID became AIDS once, once Bob Gallo, who came up and visited us, found with Luc Montagnier from Paris that this was caused by the AIDS virus, the HIV virus. And so that was the early day, 1979-1980, when HIV first reared its ugly head in New York City and then in San Francisco and Chicago, etc., so, yeah, there's a lot of history, New York City. Very, very interesting history. There's a lot of history that you have been involved with, too, Bob. Tell us, yes. before we go into a lot of stuff today, tell me about what is happening with coronavirus and the vaccine. Nobody understands what the hell is happening, what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to take our 75th shot. Tell us about it. <laughs> well, we know that there are two vaccines that everyone should have, except for the J&J, which is a one-shot deal. The vaccines have been really created very rapidly, uh, particularly under the Trump administration, which accelerated the development and really 
using molecular biology in contradistinction to the old days when we used to inject dead viruses like the polio virus and other things into kids, we now have what are called messenger RNA viruses, which are uh, vaccines, which are very, very specific to the coronavirus. Now, the coronavirus is a relative of um, the common cold. And so it was logical to believe that this would be what we call an immune evasive virus. However, we found that by getting the vaccines, Pfizer, J&J, for example, Moderna, that you could avoid winding up in the intensive care unit. You might get uh, COVID, but you would not wind up in the hospital and die. Now, that's not true across the board. The reason I say that is certain ethnic groups like the Hispanic population and the African-American population seem to be far more susceptible to this virus than, say, the Asians or Caucasians. Also, fat people, people who are obese, tend to do poorly when they get infected with the coronavirus. So we went through, Cindy, remember, we went through the alpha and then we went through the delta, which was a horrible strain of this virus that killed a lot of people, millions of people. And then we wound up with the Omicron variant. The Omicron variant is more like a very, very severe common cold. Now, that's not the case for everybody. Some people who get the Omicron variant, they go out and they stop breathing and they die. And so there's been so much controversy, and I'm at the forefront of this because I have to listen to thousands of people talk to me about the fact that after they got the vaccine, they developed heart disease or they developed diabetes. And then there are those people who have had COVID but were vaccinated but had COVID and wind up because of COVID having what's called a long haul syndrome. Listen, you're going, long- if I listen to you, I'm going to be dead by the time I finish the conversation. <laughs> so stop already with that. Just tell me, what should we do? We're simple people listening to you. What the hell should we do now? Well, we know that you should probably have a booster, at least one booster. Now, I was told we should have a second booster as well. I personally did not get the second booster because I had COVID after the first two shots. And as your listeners know, after you've had COVID infection, your immune system is pretty much primed. And it really is so efficient at eliminating a new infection for a period of months. So I would say if you can get the second booster and if you're over 65, I highly recommend it. It's a good idea. It's not going to make you sick. It's not going to kill you. Uh, as far as young people go, below the age of 65, and that, that includes, uh, you know, not us, but the general population that's below 65, I don't think they need a second booster at this time. The virus is still out there, but it's not killing as many people. And I have to tell you, in our intensive care units, we're not seeing a lot of people with COVID. We see people who come into the hospital for other things that wind up getting COVID while they're in the hospital. Okay, okay, okay. I would like to ask you, how has the medical world changed? Hospitals are not taking people as much. Doctors see you for seven minutes, then throw you the hell out. What is happening to the medical fraternity? Well, doctors are not supposed to see you for just seven minutes. Doctors are supposed to take their time and listen to you as a patient. And as my patients will attest, if many, if any of them are listening, they know that I spend a good deal of time with them and I listen to every complaint that they have. 
I actually am assisted by some very advanced practice nurses that help me out. But now hospitals are in a, in big trouble because a lot of them have lost their COVID funding and they depended on that so that they are laying people off in droves. And see, uh, there's a there's a major issue with problems with care in that there are all sorts of other parameters that are part of the healthcare rendering system, such as length of stay. We have a lot of undocumented aliens, for example, in hospitals that are not paying their bills because they have no money. We have a lot of poor Medicaid people who are in hospitals that don't have any money. So hospitals have to balance as safety nets the taking care of the poor people who have generally poor health and taking care of people who have means or money that can afford to pay their bills. Insurance companies, it seems, and this is why doctors spend five to eight minutes with each patient. Insurance <laughs> companies are very limited in their their intention to pay for medical care. Every drug I write, I have to get authorization from the insurance company that takes care of patient Y or patient X. Okay, I, I got easy. I I got eight three eighty three thousand questions that I need to ask for you, Bob. Okay. I can't. <laughs> you you were there. You were working the triage system at 9-11. Can you go back in your memory and tell the listeners a little of what it was like when you were there at 9-11? Yeah, that was catastrophic, Cindy. And you know that because I, I do, was in I touch do, with I you do. through the whole process. I had Cindy on the phone yeah. talking to her about the, the path yeah. train, for example, crossing the Hudson was flooded. Yeah. And we heard noises underneath the collapsed towers, and we thought people were trapped. I have to tell you that people have asked me, Cindy, whether 9-11 and the pandemic had any similarities. And I simply said, well, the pandemic was like a prolonged 9-11. It was losing. I mean, if I could tell you how many dead bodies I would see per day, you wouldn't believe it. As many as 100 deaths a day were seen in the hospital. Now, during 9-11, it was a surprise for everybody. I, I went to the, to the point where the towers were collapsing, and I, I, it was a surreal scene, as I told you at that time. Yes. With the number of dead, I thought there were more uh, survivors, and there were not. I treated with our triage system maybe three to 400 patients with just broken arms and legs and burns. Um, when I went to Rudy Giuliani's uh, trailer on 9-11, I said to the fire chief, how many patients do we have? Because I had a field hospital that I was building. And he said about 20,000. Oh. That blew my mind. I said, 20,000? How could that be? And he said, yeah. He said, that's how many are going. we're expecting. And of course, history told us there were no, there were no survivors at all. We had the injured. And um, I refer you to a film on YouTube called 9-11 Emergency Room, which is very graphic and shows you what exactly happened on that day. But that was a five-day period, day and night, where we took care of the injured, we, the displaced people with their pets. It was like Dunkirk. Remember Dunkirk, the Churchill movie? Uh, yes, I do. You know what I, Bob, you know what I also remember? 
It was a time right afterwards when there was extreme patriotism. Taxi cabs even had the flag in their windows. Front th- in right. the front of Park Avenue apartments, there were flags. Now yes. our country is falling apart, and it was so full of patriotism then. Do you not remember that? I do. People came out of the woodwork. They were kind. I mentioned um, in my field hospital that I didn't have enough stethoscopes. And the next thing that happened is a truck pulls up and it dropped off several boxes of brand new stethoscopes. I also said we need food. And, and uh, you know, I don't know if you want me to mention the, uh, the restaurants that came forth and brought us steaks and hamburgers and French fries to treat the responders, to treat the people on the pile who were digging with their bare hands. Uh, it was just extraordinary, it, and people came together, and that was to some degree what we saw early in the pandemic. But now the country seems divided, and everybody's banging their own drum. And if we could just recover that patriotism that we had when we were commonly attacked, it would be a wonderful thing. What does what do we do today about aging the country is lasting longer the people are living longer what are we going to do about elderly people today what is the well, the way to handle it well Cindy, yesterday i was on some television station that went across the country about dementia you know by the by the year 2030 we're expecting 14 million cases of dementia because people are living so long No one knows who is going to get dementia and who is not. But it is a medical problem because we have no idea as to how to treat people with dementia. People have cognitive difficulties as they get old, but they don't have complete loss of memory. For example, not being able to recognize their husbands or wives or their children or where they live or what state they're in or what city they're in or unable to drive a car. That's going to increase. That's number one. Number two, we don't have enough neurologists or geriatricians. Those are specialists that take care of the elderly. We don't have enough of them, specialists, to diagnose and manage these, old, these aging individuals. And thirdly, we don't have enough nurses and nurses' aides and nursing homes that specialize in cognitive disabilities. So as the population ages... And I mean, we're seeing people living way beyond 100 years of age. When the population ages to that degree, we have to come up with a way to take care of people who are suffering from dementia and have multiple other health problems as well. Okay. You have now given me a very happy, very up half hour. It's so joyful <laughs> to speak to you. I am not one who's too old to have a nice steak, and I'm expecting you to buy it, Bob. I've known I you will. 40 years. The time has Indeed. come. I owe you a big dinner. I'll big take dinner. it, and I love you, Bob. Thank you, thank you, <laughs> thank you, honey. Go back and do something to, for somebody, okay? All right, honey. Okay. Thanks. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. It's the Cindy Adams Show, 77 WABC. I've just got a lot of stuff. I'm like a little rabbit who's hopping around. So pay attention and listen to me. First, I want to start with something called genealogy. You won't know why I'm doing this, but if you stick with me for two seconds, I'll come to a point. Meryl Streep's actress daughter is Grace Gummer. Paul Sorvino's 
is Mira Sorvino. There's Tom Hanks' son, Colin. Melanie Griffith's Dakota Johnson. Remember in the old days, Sammy Davis Jr. and Tyrone Power Jr.? George Washington maybe had nobody, but at least we got FDR Jr. And jumping off bloodlines, Elvis's grandkid, Riley Keough. Now, here's why I'm, what I'm doing it. I have a point. Now climbing politics ladder. Here's what you have to hear. The name is Sarah Morgenthau, or Morgenthau, or however you pronounce it. It's a new name to us all, but it's old family. Back a 100,000 years ago, there was a Treasury Secretary in the United States called Henry Morgenthau. His signature decorated every U.S. bill in the 30s. And Robert Morgenthau was New York's forever longtime DA. Now, here's why I'm saying this. We're coming into Sarah Morgenthau. She is a Barnard Columbia grad. She served Obama and Biden. Sarah Morgenthau did the Peace Corps. She ran for Congress. She has three children. She worked in the Department of Commerce, Homeland Security. And now, here's the thing. Now, she wants to run for district attorney in her granduncle's old seat. That means here, kiddies, right here in New York. She is upset, like the rest of us, that New York City is in a law and order mess. And she has the bloodline. She has the calling. She also has the name. She also wants the game. Lame brag has the fame and the blame. But we welcome Sarah Morgenthau's ability history, and genealogy. May she gag brag. Okay, on to something a little nicer than brag. Remember Elizabeth Taylor? She left us long ago. Well, she's back again. May 14, 10 p.m., ABC TV, Channel 7, the hour special will be called Superstar. It's her early interviews, film clips, types who knew her, worked with her, romanced her, or sold her jewelry. On it is Fran Disher, Drescher. They're all old names. Dita Von Teese, Rosie O'Donnell, who recalled their dinners. Melissa Rivers' mom, Joan Rivers, was a friend, so Melissa's on it. George Hamilton's on the list. Maybe Sharon Stone, and naturally me. I'm on everything. When they can't find anybody else, they schlep me along. Now, with Elizabeth's chorus line of husbands, surely you remember her line of husbands. There was Hilton Wilding, Todd Fisher, Burton Burton, Warner Fortensky. The question is, what shtick or trick might a next maybe follow-up lover have had to perfect to make the night at least interesting. Okay, I'm on to another one. I'm on to another one. I go from one to the other. I go from one to the other. I am now on to 
Comedian Renee Taylor. Her husband was the late Joe Bologna. It goes back a thousand years ago. She is now having her 90th birthday. And she said to me, on my last birthday party, Red Buttons, the comedian, came late. Being stupid, I asked her, so why was he late, Renee? And she said, well... He was at a premature ejaculators convention, and he would have had to leave early. Uh, what can I tell you? She was a comedian. Anyway, her party guests will include Marlo Thomas, Elaine May, Joy Behar. Her greetings came from Tyler Perry, Adam Sandler, Richard Lewis, and Barry Manilow. So I asked her, well, if you're having your 90th something birthday, are you still working? She said, oh, please. What kind of a question is this? I happen to be booked at the Wynn in Vegas for my 100th birthday. The question is, who knows if they will be around this long? Okay. I meant to tell you this before. This is an old story. I forgot to tell it to you. So forget that I forgot and I'm remembering it now. I'm talking about a movie called Cocaine Bear. B-E-A-R. It's in theaters. It's a true story. It happened in 1985. A drug dealer's plane actually accidentally dropped stuff onto Georgia National Park in which there happened to be schlepping a real, live, big, black bear. Kerry Russell stars. It was Ray Liotta's last film. The director, Elizabeth Banks, says, This critter consumed 70, 70 pounds of coke. A super-powered Bruin this high on cocaine wasn't our problem. It's the humans that were. Okay, I go on from one bear to another. The West Side's Jerry Nadler. He just discovered New York's Upper East Side. He only was working on the West Side, but then Carolyn Maloney was the West Side's, the East Side's big player. She was the big player for 30 years until November's redistricting chopped her off, and Nadler won that congressional district. So he's schlepping around ringing doorbells, and if yours rings, it could be him. He's now around shaking hands and making constituent house calls. We're all thrilled. It's the most exciting thing to happen to New York since Mayor de Blasio moved out. April 7th. Pay attention. It's the Javits Auto Show. It's the first time first responders will be able to go free. And that's April 14th. Fire, police, EMT workers go free. Their guests will be half price. But the question is, it's an auto show. In New York, who the hell needs a car these days? You can't get anywhere in one. The traffic is so bad that a 2024 model rates a trade-in before it gets cross-town. Shove the Datsun. 
Take the dachshund. I am just letting you know. Okay, I will be back in one second. I will be back in one second, and I'm going to do Joe Germanata. Joe Germanata runs a tavern on the west side called Joanne's, and the daughter of him is Lady Gaga. I'll be back in a second with Joe Germanata. All the dish that's fit to air. Cindy Adams is on 77 WABC. Joe Germanata. He owns the restaurant called Joanne's. It's an Italian trattoria on the west side. What I would like to know is, since I know about your lifestyle, how do you know about food? Where the hell did you learn about food? <laughs> yeah, hello, Cindy. How are you? <laughs> I'm fine. How are you? Tell me. Don't, don't just don't just hop right in, right? How do you know about food? Um, you know, basically, you know, I, I, I grew up in a, a Sicilian family, and, you know, everything was centered around food, around the kitchen table. And, um, I mean, the holidays would be, you know, feasts with my, my aunt cooking in uh Cranford, New Jersey, and, uh, you know, other holidays, my mother would be cooking. And, you know, I spent a lot of time in the kitchen just watching my aunt and my mother cook and, you know, taking a lot of mental notes. And as a result, I became a pretty good cook. And, uh, and what I've done is, is I've taken those recipes, you know, for the, like the meatballs and, and the chicken scarparella and, and other and lasagna and other things, and we, you know, d deployed them on our menu, and and they're doing great. Well, your food is great. Your food is wonderful. I didn't like your wine; it was like kerosene. But I loved your yeah, food. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, because you, you have you have no taste, Cindy. That's why. <laughs> tell tell me how food has changed. The, the the recipes have changed. The things we eat are, have changed. Have they not? Yeah, you know they have. I mean. Um, we're seeing a lot more requests for um, vegetarian and vegan options. Yeah. Okay. Which we have, we have many. And you know, I just got something very, very interesting. It's called shrimp dish. Okay. <laughs> Believe it what, or not. What is a, that? What is that? It's a it's a plant based shrimp imitation shrimp. Imitation you know, shrimp. Yeah, and it's made out it's made out of plants. Okay, you're going to serve it's it? A, it's amazing. I don't, you know, I don't know. I'm toying with it. I've got, I've got some good friends that are um, vegan and vegetarians, and I'm going to try it out on them first. Now, there's another thing. There's, you, do, you do something very special. You have a very low-priced menu for the people who need it around you. Tell us about that. Oh, yeah. Well, what we did was, you know, we... You know, every, everybody's, you know, having a little bit of a rough time with all this Biden inflation. Yeah, right? yeah, so, yeah. So what I did was is that I created a 1999 prefix that's uh, it's available uh, all day up to 6 p.m. on um, um, Sunday through Thursday. And uh, it's, you know, it's got some quite, you know, it's got a quite an extensive menu. I mean, it's. You know, there's chicken parmesan, there's lasagna. Uh, you can add, if you want to add um, 
There's another. There's another. I think eggplant parmesan. Yeah, eggplant parmesan is on that as well. And then if you want to add uh, an appetizer um, and a cannoli, it's ten dollars more. The food is so very it's a, good. It's a good meal. It's a good meal for twenty for twenty bucks, and but it's a better meal at twenty nine. Right. <laughs> the place is great. And you actually schlepped out somebody to make music that you found on the street. I mean, how did you do that? Oh, that was, you know, it, it, I walk around the park quite a bit because uh, we live like two blocks from the park, from Central Park. So um, I was walking my daughter's dog, Obi. He's an Australian shepherd. And I'm walking around the park and I hear this this woman singing and she was singing to a track, but she was really good. And so I walked up to her and I, I said, you know, here's my business card. Why don't you come over to the restaurant? Right. Well, maybe you want to play there. And so her and her husband came in the first night and she set up in the bar. Everybody loved her. So <laughs> she's been, she's been there and she's going to be with us through the end of March. And then we're going to take a break. You have a little daughter of whom we may have heard, Lady Gaga. How did you treat her growing up? Well, look, she was very childish. <laughs> yeah. I treated her like a child, all right? Um, my other daughter, Natalie, as well, okay? That, I mean, it was a, a very... Um, we were a very, uh, you know, Italian family. At the end of the, the school day, you know, I would typically cook dinner, and the kids would be sitting at the kitchen table, and Cynthia would be helping them with their homework. Um, and then there was always, you know, piano lessons and uh, and horseback riding and things like that. And after school, sports, you know. And, and the most important thing, I think, you know, how we treat them as – we try to treat we tried to treat them like adults, okay, and we tried to help sponsor them for everything they wanted to do. All right? So if they wanted to um, if you wanted to play piano, you wanted to sing, you wanted to act, you wanted to ride horses down at uh, Chelsea Pier. Um, you know, we used to make the time to, just to do it, to be with them and take them to, you know, take them to dance lessons and things like that. And, you know, as a result, they became very well-rounded students at, at Sacred Heart. Um, and, you know, so it, it was, you know, I think, it, I think we were good parents. Um, You're a good you know, parent. Never... You're a good parent. You're a good guy. You're a good restaurateur. And I know that you're a good friend because I've seen the people who come in and I am going to come in to have some of your pasta very shortly. But can I also have the fake, what is it, the fake shrimp, the fake, what the yeah, hell is it? I, I, it's, it's, it's called shrimp-ish. <laughs> shrimp-ish, but can I have something that's wine-ish, not the crappy kerosene I had by accident? Can you give me a decent bottle of wine? Well, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll give you a decent bottle of wine, but I want to also share with you, we just started selling um, non-alcoholic drinks and mocktails. Yeah. And they have all these non-alcoholic tequilas, and they have vodkas and gins, et, et cetera, and you make, you make cocktails out of them, but there's also pre-mixed drinks from all these vendors. Well, we, we just did a, 
um, a private event, um, and uh, Curious Elixirs was the, is the name of the company. They're in Brooklyn. And the, the private event, you know, they sponsored everything. And, and, you know, we sold out. We had the restaurant full of people, right? And they, they were drinking mocktails, everybody. You know, a lot of uh, AA crowd was there, and um, which I'm sober now three years. I love you, and I'm glad you're on the and I'm glad you're on the air with me. And I now have to go, but I'm going to come into Joanne's Trotteria, which is on the west side and owned by Joe Germanata this week. This week I'm going to be away, so come. Then I'm not going to go this week. I'll go next week. I'm flexible. Get off my air. I'm going to be away. All right. Okay. Goodbye. Have a great day. Thank you. Bye. Goodbye. Okay, I'm done. I'll see you next week. I love you, I love you, I love you. Whether you love me or not, tune me in next week. Bye.